Hello, it's Carlos again, and welcome to another Happy Startup Community podcast. So, for much of my life, I've been a worrier. I've worried about whether I was making the right decisions or whether people thought I was doing the right thing. My mind fills with thoughts and judgments that can turn into a cacophony. And this stops me from being able to listen to my body and therefore be able to follow my intuition. As Max St. John, founder of Being Wild Things, tells me in this episode, the body will whisper to us what we should do and then nudge us and then at some point shout. Recently, I've been crippled by back pain, which I guess is my body shouting. I guess I haven't been listening well enough. I haven't been creating the space to be still. So I hope you enjoy this podcast as I hear about how we can lead more autonomous lives by being still and listening more to our bodies. Enjoy. So I don't have to remember it later. Uh, what's been going on? Um, yeah, coming back from when I was in altitude, I really got some, um, at the beginning of the, the retreat, I got some horrible pain in my back i suffer from sciatica already now and again but this was like a uh as if someone had like punched me in the kidneys on both sides um and then yeah it it went away for a bit and then when i came back past couple of weeks it's just been like agony um no idea what it is went to the doctors they gave me drugs which were amazing um but didn't really help uh help help the problem um and so now i just had some some blood tests and urine tests and seeing to kind of see if there's uh, see if there's anything there but kind of clueless really and to be honest today is and is probably the first day i've actually felt relatively human and not in amazing pain so was it immediately after the travel either way no it was it was uh a couple of days in to be honest Um, a couple of days after, or was it a couple of days? Days after getting back. Yeah, I arrived. Oh well, it's when we got there. Like this is the beginning of the retreat. So like uh, a couple of days into the retreat, I just like had I didn't sleep at all very well, and then next morning I was like in agony, uh, and then then it went away, uh, or it was like it was manageable, and then when I got back, it kicked in again. So yeah, all very curious. But does it? Uh, what kind of pain is? Does it feel like a? Yeah, what kind of pain is it? Is it like a dull ache or a, like a, um, a seizing up or? It's it's like a it's a stiffness. It's like I've been beaten up a bit. Yeah. Or I don't know if you remember from sparring days in kung fu, uh, and it's like a really quite rigorous training session, and your muscles are just like. Uh, you know you, you really had a strong workout and also you've been beaten about a bit and is it right that across that, is it right across that kidney area just above the just above the top of the hips like across that lower back yeah it's basically it's like it's running up from the lower back either side of the spine up to the shoulders okay. then it migrated into my neck yeah and then like uh, on tuesday was even worse in my head like a vice-like grip yeah and has it? Have you felt it down the tops of your arms, or anywhere in the sort of the your hips or top of your legs as well? 
not so much in my arms. Mm. Um, weirdly, I've like started to have a bit of pain in the knee and then like a pain in my thumb. Yeah. But not so much in my arms. Okay. That's really interesting. So we will, some of the stuff we talk about today might, might point a little bit to the work then. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, not nice. Not nice for you at all. But um, <laughs> yeah, familiar. yeah. You know where I'm coming from. I do. What, and, and what's been going on in your life recently? Like the last uh, month or two, what's what's been what's been happening for you? Well, um, so Esme broke her arm mm-hmm. about. It's nearly two months ago. Yeah. But it's she her cast came off about six weeks ago. Yeah. Oh no, four, two or three weeks ago. Um, you had a fall. Don't know if you, my oh yeah my I had a fall. Did you say you? I thought you said I had a fall two three weeks ago. No 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 no. Her cast came off no, no, two no, no, three no, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, and then oh then my father had a really a bit of a scare. He they found a bleed on his brain. Yeah. Uh, and he got rushed to hospital. They had to drill a hole in his head yeah. to drain the blood. Yeah. Uh, and that was I was in Italy, and I wasn't able to get able to get over there. So that was a bit traumatic. Uh, we had a friend nearby. Her mum fell over and broke her arm. This was probably like a couple of weeks after Esme broke her arm. So I had to spend some time looking after the kids and helping her out. Uh, some really bad news from other friends around other health problems. So there's like a, a number of kind of yeah. Yeah, challenges yeah, yeah, yeah. that has that have sprung up over the past few weeks. I, um, okay, I would I would posit that that's all connected to your your back and your spine and your neck. Mm. Given it just mm. from my experience, of my own body and doing doing this body work, doing the neck and work, and understanding a little bit more about how the the, the whole body and the sort of emotional self kind of fits together and works together and reflects what's going on in your life and in yourself. Um, I, I would be, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just time and uh, giving yourself rest and relaxation that would sort it out more than drugs or anything else. But you also, you know, it's good you got the test just in case so you can find out um, for peace of mind. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of things went through my head and, and I, yeah. I, I caved yeah. and I did Google a little bit yeah. and then I stopped. Because you had cancer <laughs> and AIDS and March. Of course, yeah. And the <laughs> And then mail. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it went from like, oh, it's, it's a slip disc to, yes, of course, cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some, uh, yeah, some, some, or motor neuron disease or, or, um yeah some other weird shit that you find on the web but anyway <laughs> i stopped that very quickly yeah yeah really good idea it's definitely nothing so there's, there's two really interesting things there's so one um the really quick one is uh the, the the body will reflect the mind and the mind will reflect the body so once you start going into that stuff if you identify you find something that tells you you've probably got cancer the mind latches onto it, the nervous system goes up, the body starts to um, sort of manifest that tension. Um, manifest might sound like a, a yeah. weird word, but your, your body's going to change in relation to how you're thinking and how you're feeling. And so it's almost like um, by self-diagnosing, but it, or even getting a diagnosis by a doctor, sometimes you're creating problems for yourself that otherwise the body will sort out on its own. 
Um, and then mm. the other things I, I like about two years, maybe three years ago, I started to get this kind of tightening in my shoulder. Um, and then we moved here and part, you know, I was also doing a lot more manual labor here being on the farm, but my back started seizing up. And then I started getting a problem in my hips and my knees and I couldn't work out for the life of me what was going on. And, and it would kind of ease a little bit and then it would get much, much worse. And it seemed to be that when I had the pain in my shoulder, I'd also have this tightening in the back and then also with the, the hip and the knee. And then so over the last couple of years, doing more of the Neigung work and understanding anatomically a bit more about the body, I, I can see now how they're all totally connected. And so we think of like when there's a problem with the body, an ache or a pain, we often think about maybe um, the muscles, like the major muscle groups that we think about, or uh, say bits of cartilage or like tendons that we know of. But actually the, the body, everything in your body is wrapped in this kind of thin, fine layer of uh, like mesh. You know, uh, you know, if you carve a joint of meat when it's, or, or rather you've got a joint of meat raw from the supermarket. Yeah. Are you talking about the fascia or myofascia fascia is it called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of a catch-all word, and it can mean lots and lots of different things. And so in your body, you've got these massive big sheaths, sort of layers and wraps of fascia. But it's also these kind of fine mm. sinews and mesh that sit around the organs and wrap in the ah. bone. And so what I realized over time was what was happening for me was it was these big layers of fascia that were kind of pulling and knotting in. And so I'd feel it in my back, but it would also be pulling on my shoulder and my hip and my knee because we've these big wraps these big layers you can look at on an anatomical diagram they all connect in and they're all connected and actually it was about um probably tension in my body in my mind in my in my life that was manifesting in my yeah in in this sort of physical discomfort and actually it's only through the negum and the qigong and changing how i think in a way at a very deeper level that's allowed that to kind of ease up and i know when it i can feel it again i know there's something i need to pay attention to but I, I genuinely, I went to see an osteopath, I saw a physio, had massages, I, I even went to see a doctor, all totally useless. Like, <laughs> even went to see a doctor? I even went to see well, a GP, no offence to any GPs that uh, uh, end up looking for this <laughs> thing, but they're not going to be able to help you really. Um, <laughs> at best, they'll give you some drugs. And drugs are just awful. Generally, like if, if you, you're just dealing with the symptoms or something, you're not even thinking about the, the root cause or how to. Exactly. That's what it. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just like relating because you've got um, right down to the tips of your fingers that there's there's networks and wraps and, and interconnections right the way through your body. So something happening in your hand can be connected to something's happening in your shoulder and something's happening deep in your sacrum. Um, but, yeah. Anyway. Wow. No, well, I think this is what we want to get into. Um, so, uh, anyway, before that, yeah. how are you doing? Yeah. yeah, I'm good. I just got back from Prague. Um, doing five days. Uh, senior students gathering with my teacher. He's based in Australia, so he comes over for three months to Europe every year. Um, so we had five days in Prague with him, uh, focusing on the sort of the more martial combat aspect of our work um, but before that I was in Austria in a castle up in the hills above Vienna uh, for nine days doing the annual intensive which is um, to nine days get up at 4.30 every morning train every day till five uh, and just get up rinse and repeat so I'm on the one hand I'm playing catch up and trying to like fit back into family life and 
uh, sports mm-hmm. and things like that. And and on the other hand, I'm feeling a massive sort of benefit of having done that work and having a bit more space internally, a bit more sort of clarity uh, and sense of sense of what's going on. And so yeah, oh, space, mix of stuff. finding space. <laughs> That's such a luxury as a parent. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I realise physical I've got... and mental and temporal space. Yeah. Well, I've got none in my. In if you looked at my life, I, I don't have much space. So you know, from getting up in the morning, feeding the dog, and letting the chickens out, getting the kids ready for school, having a few calls, trying to get a bit of work done, looking after the land, putting the kids to bed after cooking dinner. And then going and sorting out the veg patch and the other few jobs, I won't really stop until about ten, ten thirty at night. So, uh, oh man! But that sounds great, though. It is. It, I really enjoy it. It's this time of year as well. You know, it's long days, a lot of sunlight, so it's making the most of it. But it's that space inside. You farmer, you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's not because you can't necessarily make that temple that you called it temporal space, the physical space. I. Like, um, that's not always necessary. I will try and get up early and do my practice every day, or, or go and teach class. But um, it's finding the space uh, in space inside your, your mind and your body, because that's the only thing you can find. Sometimes <laughs> there's not much help. Yeah. And if you're freelance, self-employed, and got two kids and a dog and six chickens and a, some vegetables. that's a niche there. Freelance, self-employed uh, with kids. Kids, maybe not dogs and chicken for everyone, but. Bed. Yeah, yeah. I think there's more and more of us struggling. But, uh, yeah, so I'm good, man. Definitely. I'm good. And so, um, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to keep all of this stuff because I think it's, it creates some context for our conversations. But for anyone who's lasted this long listening to us, <laughs> um, it would be good. Why don't you give people a bit of a picture of where you're at? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to embody where I, I think or a very minimal level. I'm outside, so there's going to be lots of noise of wind and 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 seagulls probably on this version but yeah, yeah give us some an idea where you are so that we well, can be I'll jealous i'll move a bit closer to the outside here as well then so we can have a bit of cornwall so i'm in i'm in very very north cornwall right by the devon cornwall border i'm about 20 minutes from 25 minutes from Bude. um we live on a i guess a small holding so it used to be a massive farm and then when the farmer died about 20 years ago, it was carved up into this kind of smaller lot. So we've got four acres of land here, um, farmhouse, uh, uh, converted little barn annex where people come and stay and work with me. Um, we've got some outbuildings, which one of which is my sort of training area and the other's where the chickens live. Uh, and yeah, it's a beautiful sunny day. It's very windy here. Um, some birds tweeting, some cows in the background. So yeah, r- rural idyll. Rural idyll. And yeah, uh, like you say, like we were saying, I just got back from training with my teacher, my Negun, my martial arts teacher, who's uh, over in Europe for the for the summer. Um, yeah. Nice. So that, I think, that's kind of like one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you and you, you put forward this idea of uh, the, the training you've been done is about being in your body. Uh, I think and there's a lot more to that as well. Yeah. Uh, I feel that if anyone who works with their mind, who works um, mm. potentially also quite a sedentary life of, of of being in front of a screen, kind of neglects their body mm. uh, significantly. Mm. So I kind of feel like we're going to be talking to people in that space, in that world. Um, 
though it's applicable, I'm sure, to a lot more people, a lot of others. But why don't we kick off? Um, you know, you were saying about talking about what what do we mean by the body? So, um, why don't you kick off with that and and give people an understanding of what what you're talking about in terms of listening to our bodies? What are they? Thanks, man. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting one, isn't it? I would have said uh, a few years ago, I would have said, you know, you, my body is the sort of the physical bit of me that moves um, that I've got to try and look after or maintain or make stronger. Um, you know, ideally feed it the right food. Uh, and then my mind is the one that does the, the thinking and the deciding, you know, and that's in my brain. And so this kind of mind-body sort of like separation almost feels like how I would, how I thought about the self or, you know, what it is to be human. And I guess what I've come to realize over the last couple of years is that, um, like it's all, it's going to sound ridiculously obvious, but, um, everything in us is so connected. The idea that we give different parts of us a different name is a very sort of human way of dividing things up and categorizing them and labeling them. But actually none are really separate from each other, um, in a sense. And so, the the conscious self is what we put most attention on because from a very early age that's how we're um that's how we communicate and that's how we're taught that's how we're conditioned um so around sort of five or six we start to get this kind of clear sense of identity we're told who we are and what's right and what's wrong and we go to school and we learn maths and we write uh, and so we become quite sort of contained in this mental conscious self but uh the the body, you know, yes, it's our brain, yes, it's our uh, skeletal structure, muscular structure, but obviously it's also our organs and it's also this, you know, we were talking at the beginning of the call, this, um, the tendons and sinews and, and fascia. So these, some of which are kind of big wraps, you know, we were saying if you get a piece of meat from the supermarket and you can see this kind of thin white film that sits over muscles, we've got that all over our body, big thick wraps of it, but also finer mesh that sits over our organs our liver our heart um and there that's connected all through the body and into the bones so everything's fundamentally connected and how it's functioning i guess that the, the nice way that someone put it to me was the mind is a function of the body and uh, not the other way around and, and that really threw me and i had to really think about that the mind is a function of the body and what that means to me is how your body is the state of your body the state of your um your organs and the tension or release in your structure directly affects how you think and feel and at um a physiological anatomical level that that just makes sense you know our um uh, the sort of balance of hormones in our body is directly linked to the the health and functioning of our, our organs and our um, and also our nervous system and uh, so while we think with the mind and when we imagine things in the mind or experience problems in the mind or we experience a challenge we always try and solve it with the mind but actually there's this whole bigger wider self which includes our you know our organs and our fascia and the state of tension or release in our body that is actually driving our experience of self our experience of the world and and how we relate and that has been a kind of a slow realization for me over the last couple of years, but it's got me to a place now where um, 
I uh, am more and more convinced that uh, the mind isn't the tool. It's not the thing that can solve our challenges of whether that's personal, individual identity challenges, or whether that's uh, even social, uh, global challenges. We can't solve these things just with the mind because it's such a limited part of who we are and it's being driven by um, much more than we're even paying attention to. The, I think what, I, what I'm doing and learning for myself and what I would love for people to understand if they take anything away from this call is your body isn't a machine to be optimized or maintained or just fixed when it goes wrong. Your body is a, a fundamental, integral part of who you are and how you experience the world. Um, so that's, that's kind of what's, what's going on for me at the moment. Uh, I, I love that description, um, and I, I think I've had a similar journey of trying to understand where this thing, the mind, where the mind comes from, or what it is. Oh, well, I think for me, it's this idea of consciousness and what where consciousness come from, and yeah. um, looking at it, or from what I've read and tried to understand that from a mind perspective, in this case, trying to think about it, is. Um, we are the, the the consciousness is an emergent property of this very complex i hate to use the word machine but con- complex set of functions is like yeah. and and i've extended that from beyond just the complex set of neurons and synapses in our head but also the rest of our bodies yeah. uh and I relate this to this idea of and then this slight tangent, but I just want to go down there. People talking about AI and what is the future of you know work and also the future of humankind when you have these things called AI and how they might actually want to kill us, et cetera, et cetera. And and there's this idea that they're kind of these other types of humans, which I strongly disagree with now because yeah. this idea relating to what you're talking about is like without a body. Yeah without the organs without all of these other complex bits that are part of us you not you're never going to uh, a be human but b think yeah. in the same way a human thinks right. to be able to so to make to send projects that a computer is going to think that way and have emotions in the same way as humans i think is blurring the conversation but back to your bit i'm very much interested in how um, looking at ourselves in a very more holistic way and not only in terms of healing, but also in terms of, um, I'm guessing it's bringing together this idea of like understanding our feelings, understanding what that feels like in our body as well as that feels like in our head and the, how those two connect. Nice. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I actually, I remember a conversation, I might be misremembering it, but you, between you and me, maybe three years ago, possibly longer, and you were saying about, you know, I think it was along the lines of uploading brains into computers. And you, I think at the mm. time you were saying, oh, you know, I think, you know, it was possible. And I found myself being a little bit triggered by it. I was like, no, like it's not. And I couldn't articulate it <laughs> quite at the time, but it's exactly what you're saying. Um we now know, you know, we've mapped, we've studied, we've researched, we understand that, um, you know, there's millions of neurons connecting the gut and the brain, for example. Uh, and there's more going up from the gut to the brain than the other way around. So we mm. fundamentally rely on this um, sort of uh, this, this network of uh, 
uh, neurons of, of connections of information that are being fed from different parts of our body in order for us to orientate ourselves, um, not just sort of spatially, but in terms of, you know, that what's, I, what's my gut feeling? Um, in fact, there's been studies showing that people who have um, significant trauma early in their lives, but particularly sexual trauma, um, uh, have, have great difficulty connecting to and, uh, that that gut instinct, and therefore find um, uh, certain aspects of life very very difficult because the brain isn't really able to uh, have that complete sense of um, yeah all the information it needs in order to make the decisions that it needs to make, and. I think that's the thing with the, the way that my teacher's been talking about it recently is um, we have this sort of self that we're we're born into, and you look at little kids, yeah, they have no real sense of identity or right or wrong in terms of moral conscious self. Um, there's no shoulds or shouldn'ts, and they they're completely in their bodies in the moment, you know, doing what they feel, responding to um, their intuition, their instinct. And it's only around this age of sort of between four and six that we start to develop this conscious self. Um, and that's from what we're told, um, the experiences that we have, the sort of repetitive messages or difficult yeah, difficult experiences perhaps. And that, I think, develops, or it might, you know, as far as I understand, that develops that conscious self, that voice that we hear, the what we would call thoughts or thinking. Um, largely is that, I think, that that conscious developed self and looking at it from a body perspective um my experience is that that accumulates as sort of tension and holding in the body over the course of your uh, that your development over the next 10 20 years and so we get into our adult lives with um our identity part of our conscious identity really dictated by uh, the level of tension or holding that's going on in our bodies. And so, you know, if you speak to, or if you've done any meditation or you know people who've done a lot of meditation or mindfulness or whatever, or a practice like Qigong or, or Tai Chi, when it's taught and practiced well, of course, um, you know, there's this, people talk about feeling expansive or like really uh, awake in a different way. And really that's not the mind that's absolutely not there's nothing going on in you're not doing anything to the brain directly when that happens it's it's about the body it's about releasing tension releasing holding releasing ultimately that conscious self and for a moment or longer if you're lucky getting back into that subconscious space where we feel much more connected people use that you know i feel more connected more connected to myself or some people might be feel talk about feeling more connected to others or the world around them and really there's nothing woo-woo or spiritual about that it's literally a physical release allowing us to be back in the senses we can't feel the parts of our body we can't feel when we're focused just on our mind and our thoughts and that uh that conscious voice so uh when my my favorite times recently are coming back from some of these retreats and workshops that I do with my teacher and having spent day after day just being in the body, just moving or just standing, releasing, releasing, feeling more connections in my body. And what I've noticed is after that, I am so able to just respond to my instinct. So this, um, I talk about listening to the body and I think that can be quite confusing because we're 
used to listening being like, oh, I'm listening to words. So I'm waiting for a message to come through that's sort of verbal. We use these words as kind of communi- communication medium. But my experience is when you're really listening to the body, you're just responding to intuition and instinctive self, not to the mind. So my mind, the other myth that people have, which I think really gets in the way of people doing meditation mindfulness or you know the kind of stuff that I do, is they think you have to clear the mind. They think you have to kind of switch it off or if it's noisy, then you're not doing it right. And um, I've come to realize that's bollocks. And uh, the mind is just going to do what it's going to do. You kind of have to accept that. And uh, the practice is uh, just coming back to the body because that somatic process, the process of the body doing something, is happening alongside but kind of separately to this yabbering mental self. And so I can go through a whole retreat with lots of thoughts coming about what I should or shouldn't do, you know, whether people like me or not or whether I should have responded to that email before I went or what projects I'm going to try and start next. And I just watch it happening because I know that actually there's this kind of experience I'll have as I get to the end of it and in the weeks or months after where the body's processing and doing its own thing. And I get this kind of drop into a sense of just being more in my body. And while the brain still might be saying when I get home, oh, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, you must chase this, you you know, the body just tells me exactly what I need to do. And all I have to do is kind of just listen to my intuition. And that's something I've never had. I've never had that until I, I really invested in this body work. So I, you know, that's why I get quite excited about it. I, I, there's, um, I get a sense of, I'm trying to say, well, you know, when, when you, you've, you've like, you found an answer or something, or you, or you discovered something, I want to share this with loads of, yeah, it's that, but it's that real feeling like this, this is amazing. <laughs> I need to give this to more people. Yeah. And, and I, I hear you and I, I feel that, um, I'm not only just hearing what you're saying, but I do feel that this is really important because I think it's, I believe it stands in the way of so many people, I was going to say becoming their best selves, but that sounds really corny, but I think not getting in the way, their own way. Yes. Um, And when you talk about that, that, that voice, although those voices and those words in your head, um, a lot of the time, whether it's the self critic or the, 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 the inner critic, whatever they want to call it, but those 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 voices that we get distracted by it feels like what you're talking about is a way to not silence them necessarily but to ignore them in a sense or or just to let them run without um joining them yeah well you've got kids right so you know when they're fighting or being uh you're a bit annoyed by them and then the more you kind of tell them what to do or boss them around or try and control them the more annoying it gets and the more stressed you get right and mm. whereas if you can kind of just allow them to do their thing, then they often mm. sort it out themselves large, largely um, or learn to do that. And that gives you the option of um, just being with yourself and doing what you're doing. And there's a kind of a, a, a bit of more ease that can come from that. The urge or the, um, the reaction is the moment there's like someone's poking someone else in the eye or someone's not playing nicely is to jump in and try and sort it out. But actually, you know, what happens is that just kind of reinforces that dynamic and that connection to needing to be involved. And I think that's how I I might think about the mind is you, 
kind of just let it it's like some squabbling with children you just let them do their thing and yabber and you know natter and uh tell you off or tell you what you should be doing and just just allow them um to just and then sort of, of yeah the, go ahead no i was just say it's like the, the thing that sprang up for me there is i i uh, eckhart toller yeah. just oh, yeah. sprang into my mind <laughs> and it's this idea of what he calls the watcher yeah 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 totally. so uh you're just a you there is the and this is the and it took me ages to to understand this for myself but there are you this idea of not being your thoughts so your thoughts are these children yeah. being annoying and they're yeah. running around yeah. and you're just watching them yeah and you're and and by not getting involved and so having to take sides and to tell someone off you don't get sucked into the emotion and the issues and the challenges of it you just watch them and and sometimes I find myself just watching and smiling and saying, mm. "What's going to happen next?" Yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, and then that way, not uh, and then that's the analogy I have now that I'm trying to practice now is that I've I've always been a massive warrior, um, mm. and I've found a lot more peace in in not even stopping the worry, but just okay, it's there. As soon as I've seen it, as soon as I've acknowledged it. Is somehow easier for it to go away again? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Rather than okay, let's work with this. What's happening? What's going to happen? What's what might be a problem? Oh God! Oh, right. and that, and then going down that path of all right, what other worries can I think about now? Yes. So yeah, it's not about pushing this stuff down and trying to ignore it, or because you, that would be making it a bad thing and it has to go away. Equally, it's not attaching to it because that is then giving it substance and saying, well, yeah, well, I am worried because I should be worried. And I need to be worried. And so your body and your mind gets into worry and your nervous system goes into that up state. It changes how you think and feel and, and that's self-fulfilling. You know, I've, I've experienced um, high levels of stress or really uh, sort of, yeah, it'll worry perhaps you know, in the past. Um, so I just want to um, break what we've discussed so far down a bit. Yeah. Just to see if we can recap a bit. So the first question I had, just to, ref- to to give some clarity to anyone listening, is this: when you talk about consciousness, yeah. how do you define that? Just so people are super clear what we're talking about here. I think because you talk about at the age of six, yeah, your consciousness kick. You're more conscious. Yeah. So um, yeah. Okay. So talk to a young kid. Like when they're, four, let's say, five or six, perhaps, um, four's a bit early, that it's hard for them to articulate themselves in the kind of the adult way. But there's this point at which you can talk to them and you realise very quickly that they don't spend a lot of time thinking about what they should or shouldn't be doing or what happened that morning or what's going to come up later that day. They've still got that. You can hear, they can still explain to you, or they can explain to you that they've still got this aspect of kind of being in the moment again it's a bit of a cliche but uh they haven't developed this conscious critical judging vigilant self that us adults find a lot of people find difficult to disidentify from we we can only imagine ourselves as our thoughts as the idea of how i relate to you and what you think of me and what i should do tomorrow all of that so that's the kind of the adult conditioned self and then I would say that uh, there's probably other layers. I think Freud 
made it the, the conscious, unconscious, and subconscious. I'm just oh, and in Sanskrit, interestingly, the the sort of ancient um, Vedic language, um, they had eleven different words for consciousness, right? Um, and we have very, very few, and we don't recognize more than one. So it's not that they were kind of making it up. They just had an understanding of more than we do. But to break it down really, mm. I think we've got this conscious conditioned self. That's the one who has to check its emails and um, think about, you know, the project plan for the next six months or worry about uh, the meeting the next day or think about whether I'm saying the right thing right now and what people will think of me. But beneath that, this subconscious self, um, I would say is the, just the being alive in the body, uh, which is always going on. It's not that it's not there. It's not that you're not in your subconscious self. You are. It's just the, the loudest voice, the one that he, most of us only know how to pay attention to is the conscious self. And that seems to be directing us. Now, often, you know, we talk about worry or stress and anxiety. I identify that as um, the tension between what the conscious self is telling you and at some level what you know in your subconscious self you need, right? Um, so this this tension almost stretching between nature and nurture perhaps is the other way of looking at it in sort of Western psychology and uh, developmental psychology, this nature and nurture, who I am when I am born, my intuitive self, and this sense of right, wrong, black and white, should, shouldn't. Um, and in that way, the conscious self is pretty stupid. You know, it's not, we've, we've made it the most important thing in the world, but it, re- it has to put things in boxes. It has to say, you know, that's a chair, that's a table. You're Carlos, I'm Max. Uh, I have to describe myself or my work in this way. That person shouldn't be doing that. That person should be doing that. The subconscious self doesn't have that. It doesn't have that conceptualizing uh, need or or even function and so it can just be with what's going on and respond to what's going on using all of your senses so in that way it's a much smarter version of yourself so the way i understood that um <laughs> the the you know one of the wonderful things about the human mind is our ability to create stories um, yeah. and to to make meaning in the world. You know, the reasons why we have skyscrapers, houses, books is our ability to, to put things into boxes, whether they're words or whether they're actual physical boxes. Um, and that, that ability also means that we, as I understand it, we try to put meaning on the past and also projections of what we're going to do in the future, Yeah, which is, which is crazy. And, and, and our ability to create these, these structures allow us to interact and work together and cooperate um, because we have a common language to use, a way to communicate to each other, which is amazing and fantastic. But the downside is also the stories we place on the past seem to also hamper us. Our worries about the future seem to cripple us. uh, And we forget about what's happening right now because of those two things going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And that's why I see... I experience for myself and I, I perceive as happening a lot in the world of work in the wider society fears of the future and kind of like shackles of the past stopping us from working well in the present yes and um, and then this idea of like using words and relating to this idea of a six-year-old or that age someone being conscious um 
words are a great way for us to record events and to put them into little boxes or to write them down in our brains. I think of it like this one type of hard drive. Yeah. So we have this hard drive that uses words as a way to record events and experiences, and we yeah. store that in our brain. Yeah. But what I'm hearing from you, there's this other type of hard drive that uses a completely different technology. So we've got the hard disk spinning magnetic disk thing, and we yeah. have these things called flash drives. Mm-hmm. And the flash drive, in my analogy, is the body. Yeah. And that records things in a completely uh, nonverbal but it still records things. So you're talking about trauma being locked in the body. I'm wondering also whether all aspects of our experiencing self get recorded in a different way in our bodies. And not. And what you were saying is like by, by only relying on the hard disk, the spinning hard disk, and not the other, the flash drive, in this case, the recording, not trying to understand what the, what's been recorded in our body. Yeah that's that's not using everything all the tools that we have to to act is that yeah expand your metaphor a little bit like if you think about the conscious mind as being the the digital part so that's the ones and zeros has to and you know anybody who's done computer programming or or understands these kind of things at this in, in in this way you'll know that you have to things end around thing in the end if it's recorded digitally has to be square like we have to we have to square things off because we can only record in ones and zeros, whereas the analog mm. world, the world of uh, nature, uh, inverted commas, because everything is natural in a res- in some respect, the analog world is is round and s- kind of soft in terms of how it records things. And so maybe I think about. You start that. talking about MP3 versus vinyl now. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I did a music technology degree, so I should be able to, shouldn't I? But uh, I think I'm stretching it a bit far. A bit far. But so you, said, you talked about stories, and I think that's really important and really useful. So we, we're storytelling machines. When you talked about the past and the future and, and things like that, there is no, I mean, there's no such thing as the past and there's no such thing as the future. You know, these are conce- mind constructs, conceptual. You know, there's, there are theories out there that says that um, people are playing with it, so that everything's happening at once, you know. Um, I, I I am not uh, an expert in quantum mechanics, but I'm I'm fairly convinced this idea of uh, a, a a past that is real or a future that is real is is fundamentally flawed. And really, all they are is stories that we're telling about uh, what we can remember or what we can imagine. Uh, and it's fascinating how that then creates so much tension or uh, um, kind of sadness or all sorts of things in the body and how that dictates our experience or our actions rather our decisions. But this, the stories thing. So it's like, again, coming back to this developmental model, it's like we develop, we have no story of who we are when we're born in our early years, no story. And then we develop these stories. We're told these stories. We write these stories for ourselves through what we experience. And we say we become a collection or a bundle of stories. And so the opportunity that we have when we get to uh, an age where we're ready for it is uh, to start letting go of those stories. You know, that's why I do the, the body work that I do um, is about dissolving those stories and coming back to more of who I am. Um, because of my experience is that's a much nicer place to live. But actually, it's not just about it being nicer. I think the, 
you talked about like the wonderful and uh, you know it's really helpful actually hearing you talk about it in that sense in that sense of like the wonderful capacity of the mind in human beings to create things um and then how that can also kind of lock us into patterns of behavior or systems of working that, that don't seem so good to us uh, or good for us and i think you know we look at the story and the narrative that we have about where we are now largely you know there's one that we can probably all point to around climate change and the destruction of environmental sort of uh, habitats ecological destruction and i fundamentally believe that is linked to um our the development of the conscious self i think it's the conscious self that says i'm me you're you i need things and you have your own things and i need more things um and i need um i need to uh create a sense of safety and security because um that's how i experience the world is a uh, a sense of needing to shore up my own identity or my own space or whatever and i think at a subtle level that's uh it's something about our nervous system being in a just a just an ever so slightly raised state right? i think and a lot of the time when we're really in that rest and digest state, when we're really kind of released or like back in our bodies, we don't have these needs for more, 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 mine, yours, uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. It's just not there. And a lot of our habits are a result of a conscious self that experiences some level of stress, even if it's very, very low. Like I need a job. I need to be working. I need to do this. I need to do that. Uh, I should have done this, I should have done that, creating this kind of little raised state in our nervous system that then creates these behaviours of building, creating, making, getting, taking, extracting. And I think that's why we've ended up in the place we're at, socially, environmentally. And so I do think it's an amazing capacity, but I think it's um, it's resulted in this extractive way of not just... Uh, relating as a species to the planet but actually right deep inside ourselves like the pushing down of what i really want and what i really need because i i think i should be at work or i think i need everybody to like and respect my work my creations or whatever fundamentally we don't need that look at the the two-year-old the three-year-old they don't give a shit about that you know they might they do have an intrinsic desire for connection and for love but at that age they're not um they're not behaving in the kind of adult ways that we that we do and i think there's there's something about dissolving those stories and really stripping back um so that we can be less extractive be less extractive towards each other and towards our community our environment but also less extractive towards ourselves um, and I think that's the opportunity of coming out of the, giving the mind the space it wants or needs and coming back and working with the body. So what <clears throat> what I got from that is it feels like fundamentally we don't need anything and we shouldn't have to want anything at a very basic level, emotional level. Um we have the ability to create. We have the ability to make people's lives better. Um, so there can be a um, – actually, before I go down that path, um, what we do need, I feel, um, 
from a very biological perspective or evolutionary perspective, we need to be connected to each other. We need to be looking after each other because um, it sounds what from what I understand is those are the those are the human beings that survived the early life on this earth when you were surrounded by predators. It was by being together, working together, living together that we actually survived. And so that's that's something that seems to be inherent. Um, but all the other stuff that seems to be around status, um, accumulation of material things, whether it's wealth or objects, um, that's that's something that we don't isn't within our body something that we necessarily need no we don't we absolutely don't need it so when we talk about making people's lives better i mean yeah there's some sort of basic um very basic things people who don't have clean drinking water are going to get ill uh you know people who don't have basic sanitation they're going to get ill from you know um from you know open sewers and that sort of thing yes that stuff but often when we talk about making people's lives better, we're focusing on externalities which don't don't really help. You know, there is a basic level of need or support or quality of life that, that is really as critical to health or well-being. But a lot of making life better is just, again, for coming on this sort of capitalist, consumerist level of giving people more things. And that doesn't help. In fact, it kind of builds more walls against actually dealing with the, what's going on inside um, and that uh, that corporation that's allowed human beings to survive that happened as far as I understand long before we had language you know that's not uh, it's not a product of our ingenious mental capacity that we've developed it's an innate instinctive intuitive part of who we are so I think it's important to remember that as well because it's it's very easy to lord to really hold up the the, the mind and our the technical nature of like you know developing holocratic systems or whatever but actually collaboration cooperation is natural you don't need that stuff um when you let go of the so um when you you're talking about um this is an uh, working together is something innate that was kind of pre-language um and i i'm taking it back to this idea of actually there's there's the mind and there's the body. They're not separate, but they they seem like two different ways of interfer- interfacing with our being and what, what needs to happen next, so we can think our way to the next step. Uh, and I think there's a way of feeling our way to the next step in terms of yeah. what I should do next. Yeah. I think the challenge most people have, and I, I would say me included, is feeling to the next step, listening to what the body is telling us yeah how how would you interpret or how would you help someone get in tune with with listening to their body so um and just to say uh, i experienced that as well i experienced that challenge as a a level of discomfort or a level of sense of an urge or even urgency that I should be doing something or I should know the next step or um, I should already have a sense of, you know, what I'm earning in six months' time or uh, what my business, you know, how my business describes itself. Um, And 
So the first step is just being able to sit with that and not allow it to dictate what you do. So that means learning to watch the thoughts and notice them as they come up that say, oh, I really should be doing this. I, I should have done this by now or, um, and just watch it. And then notice how that creates, what that creates in the body. It might be a feeling of unease or discomfort or tension or holding. When watching that and trying not to label it, because when we talk about discomfort or unease, we make it a bad thing. And human nature generally is to try and make bad things go away, which again is probably how we've gotten uh, a bit of the mess that we sometimes find ourselves in. So it's watching the thoughts, dropping into the body, noticing what's happening. It can be very helpful to uh, focus on the breath. We should talk about that, actually, the breath. Um, Really just sensing what's going on in my body. How do my feet feel right now on the floor? Can I uh, allow them to feel a bit more open or a bit more released? How's my pelvis? How's my lower back? What's going on in there? You know, just feeling into various bits of your body and just trying to bring a little bit more ease. So not trying to stretch them like we might do, you know, really trying to stretch them out. It's just letting them go a little bit, just feeling what's going on and seeing if we can relax a bit. Um, Because the listening, the listening isn't simply like looking, noticing an area of tension or holding and going, what's that about? How do I come up with the answer? And what's it tell me I need to do next? It's actually kind of sitting with that and seeing if we can, give it a bit of space, give it a bit of ease, wait to feel like things drop a little bit and just get a sense of what we might be needing to do next, but not skipping to that. So um, our dear mutual friend, Mr. Charles Davis, uh, came up with this lovely phrase, uh, abandoning all hope of progress. And I think that's really important, um, particularly with this body work. And it came up in the, retreat i just went on this kind of word of acceptance unconditional acceptance so we don't sit here and try and be more in the body so that we can know the next step in our business it's like we've already lost it the moment we do that so if we really want to listen and we really want to get into a way of being more in touch with our intuitive self and a bit more of that ease that can come from uh, come into life from that we have to first let go of the idea that it's going to get us anywhere. Like it's going to help us be more successful or more uh, popular or more respected uh, because you've, you've lost the, you've lost the plot already. So just being in the body, just taking time might be, it might be doing some standing or some sitting if that's your thing, or if you feel open to that, doing some meditation or doing some Qigong, some gong work like I do learning to stand or sit in a particular way so that you can release all of the tension in your muscles and just stand there and feel what's going on. Or you might be somebody who just like, who needs to move. You might want to be walking, but instead of focusing on what's going on in your head, just feeling a little bit into what space is in your body, how are your legs feeling, how are your feet feeling. It can help to focus on what's going on around you in a soft way, you know, just notice the birds singing and the, the, note, the sound of the wind and the trees 
um, just to bring your attention away from the yabbering conscious self and uh, back to just what's really going on. So, yeah, I think there are lots of ways in, but it, it starts with trying to notice your body, notice what's going on in the body, giving the mind the space it needs to, you know, waffle on and do its thing, um, connecting to connecting yourself, maybe connecting to your surroundings a bit, um, and just spending time doing that. And it, I think it has to be a regular practice. You, know? um, you can get benefits from it immediately. But uh, it's very, it's much more helpful if you kind of build this into your, into your life in some way. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go straight into the head and break it down again. No, but I like it. So the why, the way it came across for me is like by listening to our body. Well, there's two things. First thing, the word flow. Um, popped up yeah. uh, and the other thing was about by listening to our bodies and this isn't necessary and and using the broadest sense of listening or broadest um definition of listening this is like sensing what's going on in our bodies you're diverting the attention from the the voices in our head so that's one way of um helping someone if they're trying to think about this is like we talk about being able to be the watcher, observe these thoughts, these 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 voices that make us feel rubbish, um, rather than trying to switch them off, or rather than trying to sit with them and listen to them and and the discomfort that comes with them. Another, it feels like another aspect to it is also feeling into your body as well, and so yeah. that that stops you from jumping onto the train of bad thoughts. It helps you just stand there at the at the the train station just feeling the ground and the earth and everything around you mm-hmm. um and then there's another thing that came up for me there were by in the same way that if you listen if you acknowledge a thought and you observe it and what i've learned through Eckhart Tolle's work it actually then is more likely to go away by listening and observing the tension in your body rather than fighting it or trying to fix it that also will potentially you know, release as well yeah yeah so it sounds like this idea of listening to the body is this this active observation which then through that dissolves the tension so you notice ah there's something there and rather than trying to all right let's stretch it and fix it just that that's there and just sit with it and then through that process actually it will in its own time dissolve is that what you're yeah, trying to say yeah well, it, yeah, if, if it helps, uh, thinking about it this way, you know, the, the judging, labelling, uh, planning, plotting, scheming mind, those thoughts, any of those are a reflection of tension in the body or in your, you know, you know your fascial structure and your, your organs, whatever. Um, so that if you, if you focus on them, if you give them credence, you just reinforce the tension. And so therefore you reinforce the thinking. And that's how you get locked into that sense of anxiety and stress or, or just just simply keep adding to that sense of self that's the judging, labelling, right, wrong, I should, I shouldn't. The, the way my teacher talked about it um, in the sort of last workshop I went on, it was really nice. He said... Um, you know, if you experience tension or holding, don't, you know, don't focus on it. Um, focus on the release. Focus on 
just letting go or feeling the possibility for letting go, the idea of letting go. Or maybe if you know you feel something in your right shoulder, focus on your left shoulder. And so this this idea of the things you give your attention to will grow, whether that's difficult thoughts or or even just unhelpful thoughts or um, tension in the body. If you give them too much attention, then you are kind of making them. You're giving them energy, as it were. You know, you're shoring them up. You're giving. You're making them the focus of your attention, and therefore they become the focus of your experience, and they become worse. Inverted commas. This is not to say at any level that if you're experiencing persistent pain in your body, you shouldn't go and see a doctor or get tests or any of these things at all. It's not. I think it's very easy for the brain to hear this kind of black and white. Oh, he's, he's saying we should ignore pain. Um, or we should just all lie around doing nothing. It's none of that. It's definitely both. Uh, but I had, I had another parent, parenting analogy, right? If your kids, you've got two kids, one's being really naughty, one's being really good. What happens if you focus all your attention on the naughty one? You kind of just make things worse. They want your attention. They know they mm. can get it and they continue doing it and you become more stressed and you become you, the, the pattern of the relationship between the three of you is focused on the dynamic between you and naughty, naughty Alf or whatever. Uh, and then poor little uh, dejected Sienna uh, is carry on playing nicely on her own, but doesn't get any attention. So there's this just kind of tension that builds up because of this interplay between you and naughty Alfie. Um, whereas mm. if you focus your attention on the good child and kind of relaxing a little bit, bring some ease and you bring ease into that relationship and naughty Alfie might see that actually poking Sienna with a sharp pencil isn't going to help him get what he wants from his parent and he might start to ease up as well so it's like it's do we focus on the naughty child or do we focus on the child that's playing nicely on their own Um, yeah no I think that's I, I liked that um well, the way you put it as well in terms of where you put the energy and where you put the uh, energy is where where it will grow. Um, I think that's the thing that, that we forget. I think many of us forget. And we grasp onto that worry, that fear, that that yeah. plan, that thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, that, and that just stops us from flowing because we're just focusing our energy on the thing that's blocking us. And I can talk about that from a work perspective just briefly. You know, I've um, yeah, been no, to- I'd be interested. Yeah, I think this is what well, you know, a lot of people here are running businesses, or they're in, uh, yeah. they're either in a leadership position, or they're they're actually working working within an organisation. You know, how would they find this? How how can they weaponize this? <laughs> weaponize, yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> So oh, now is it operationalize? How do I operationalize qigong and listening to my body? <laughs> Love it. Uh, so just briefly, so to, this is more of a shouldn't, but um, the way you focus your attention. So like, I I'm going through a big transition. I I was based in Brighton. I was doing a lot of consulting work. You know, I ran a little um, business school. Um, I've moved to middle of the countryside, um, very different, very different culture or, you know, population density and all sorts. So I'm in a place where a lot of the old work has kind of fallen away and um, it's very easy, particularly with our sort of, you know, systemic focus on money and economics and 
that as security and everything for me to get into it like okay well what i need to do is uh invest in lots of different things whatever comes up and feels like a possibility that could earn me some money that could get me you know i've got all this toolkit of being a consultant a coach a trainer facilitator blah 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 um but what i'm doing is if i have a if i have a let's say that i have a finite amount of energy which is kind of debatable but uh certainly a finite amount of time as a parent <laughs> um if I jump on everything that seems like it could have some money attached or some work attached, what I'm doing is I'm essentially putting a little bit of myself into lots of different things. And yes, some of those could come off, um, but they're probably only going to have a little bit of me in them. And then they're only going to like my experiences, what I get from that and what other people get from that is a little bit of what could be possible. So what I'm, doing at the moment is uh, practicing a lot of trust trust in the somatic process and uh and many other things uh and knowing that if i focus on the thing not even focus on the thing if i trust that um, by listening carefully and bringing to the fore what i i know i want to focus on and maintaining that focus and attention then um, I trust that uh, I will know the next step when it shows up. So it's not lying back, doing nothing, trusting that the universe is going to sort me out, put food on the table and pay my mortgage, but it's not chasing the, each urge that comes along and dealing with every s- supposed problem that shows up. Um, someone who's run a, run a business, led teams, you know, it's very, you, you can be bombarded by, well, you know, just just on a fucking email account these days, bombarded by requests and needs and problems and challenges and, uh, it, you know, the sneaky ones are opportunities. Uh, and learning not to respond is really important. Uh, and when to respond, when to respond and when not to respond. Really listening to that intuitive self, trusting that 90% of the time, these things are just total distractions that will sort themselves out and never needed your attention in the first place. Um, and that actually, while you're holding tense sort of conscious self, conscious body might tell you, scream at you that you need to do some extra planning or go and get involved in that situation. It's just not helping. Um, and so your work is to deal with your stuff rather than pile it out onto other people and just continue the game uh, and reinforce those patterns so uh not easy but it is simple the what came across for me is the idea of just creating more space yeah um, trying not to fill fill yourself with everything that comes along because you feel like that might not come along again this is kind of there's this scarcity mindset of i need to jump on and 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 fix or be attached to all of these ideas and projects that might come my way and also there's something around for me in particular like which i think i'm getting better at is uh oh if i don't respond straight away they might think some ill of me or <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah. doing them a, a service. I'm doing them a disservice. Um, 
and I'm finding that balance. I went all the way the other way. I went quite far the other way and just ignored lots of emails and only waited until people got really annoyed with me and (laughs) bugged me for for the fourth time when I actually got back to them. Um, But there's something there around, oh, I'm needed. Oh, uh, I need to, oh, they've asked me a question. I should really answer them. Or, oh, I need to fix that thing. And if I don't, there's something bad about me for not doing that right now, which, which is counterproductive because, a, you're not empowering whoever else is to do their thing, but at the same time, what you're talking about is like you're not creating space for the stuff that you sh- would need to be doing. Yeah, um, because it can't, you can't hear it. You don't know where it is because you've kind of um, almost filtered it out with by putting loads of crap in the way. It's like wearing some. Smudge so I just wanted to acknowledge that there are. There are going to be people out there listening to this, whether they're running their own business or they're in an organization where they are unfortunately among many less conscious people who are going to be expecting a reply two seconds before the emails have even been sent and who are going to jump on your down your throat as soon as you haven't given them a 50-page yeah, yeah. report by the yeah. end of the day. And yeah. these guys, they're going to be saying, yeah, you know, I'd like to be able to say no to this stuff, but it's just going to make my life harder. And I'm in this space where everyone's just on in panic mode. Well, um, I, do you, so you got a lifeline for them? No, I've I've got a choice. <laughs> I've got a choice. You you can either continue playing that game and uh, carry it on, and uh, continue uh, letting people know that they can do that. And that's okay because you will jump to it and you will pull an all-nighter or you will put everything to one side or you will uh, spend your whole day looking at going through emails and not doing the work you're going to do. Or you can kind of sit with like your own stuff that gets in the way of you just not doing it or saying no or uh, having a conversation about how you can't really do that because it's really not, not helping them and not helping you. Whatever it is, it's... It, what it does come down to again is, is something that's as simple as a choice. You either continue with the pattern that you're in, or you choose something different. And you definitely, right, you can't control how other people behave. We often, in the training that I've done in a professional, in a business context, for years and years, it's often about, uh, you know, communication might be about uh, how do we get other people to communicate in a way that's good for us or how do we get them to understand da 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 um you can't control what other people think feel and do um you can inf- you can influence their behavior for sure but the, the thing you the only thing you have control over is how you react and how you respond even your reactions are seemingly outside of your immediate control you know we habitually react to stuff like if i tell you if you're somebody who has a very demanding boss, for example, um, and I tell you um, that I think it'd be better, it might be, or even if I introduce the question of what would it be like if you stopped saying yes to everything they asked you, your reaction, your habitual reaction might be one of discomfort or disbelief or even frustration at me for suggesting it. But if you take time to sit with that and think about what kind of life do I really want what kind of relationship with work do I really want you might also recognize that continuing to play the game is just going to make your life more difficult and it's probably 
doing them a disservice because they probably don't know that you're fed up, burnt out, having a shit time. If they do and they're still doing it, then you really shouldn't be working there. Um, you really should, should get away from people like that. Uh, <clears> so I, career I, advice I, from Max St. John. <laughs> if you've got an asshole boss in an asshole company, just get the fuck out of there. Well, you, well, you've only got one life, you know, and if your body is yeah. telling you and your mind is telling you that this is doing you damage and if, you know, someone shared with me, another mutual friend of ours, um, Jackie, shared a, there's a, an article or a book about, um, which is, I think the, my take on it was, um, it was kind of scathing of uh, the mindfulness culture, saying that we're mindfuling, uh, mindfulnessing ourselves uh, into submission or um numbing or using it to numb ourselves against problems and and to an extent I, I kind of agree with that i see it being introduced into lots of schools and when i my experience of what's happening in the school system largely is that it's not going to be fixed by mindfulness that's kind of taking paracetamol for a brain tumor um and i do think there's to an extent you know we've got into a culture where businesses are like oh let's make you more resilient so you can take more shit um, not that that's their intention, that, that genuinely there may be a kind, caring intention behind it, noticing that employees are f- finding certain things difficult or it's a stressful working environment, trying to offer them tools. But they, there has to be a point where we have to notice the things that are persistently difficult and damaging, and if we can't change them, to remove ourselves from them. And then, and if we don't, what we're really doing, if I was being really challenging, is is we're saying it's okay. We're reinforcing mm. them, saying, yeah, no, it's okay for things to be this way, and I'll continue playing that game. It reminds me of one of your needs cards. I think it's one of your needs cards. Um, power in my world. Power in and my world. <laughs> and, it, and it feels like reclaiming that, the ability to say no. The ability to yeah. just quit, the 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 the, the, the choice, Cla- reclaiming that choice rather than feeling like ah, I need to do, I should do this, or ex- I'm expected to do this. Someone described um, it as it. Okay. I was going to say described it as living in an autonomous life, and I like that, an autonomous mm. life, and we can yeah. we can spend. We can spend all our time telling uh, you know telling ourselves and other people that we ha- don't have a choice. You know, other people are. Uh, choosing things for us that you know if they don't change I can't change um, but actually unless you unless you change unless you change how you what you unless you act start acting more in line with what you actually need I find a way you know and want some compassion it's not easy um, hmm. if you find a way to start doing that then you know life can be different and this, uh, so this is where it feels we've got to is like it's it's to create that more autonomous life an aspect of this is is being able to um, stop listening to the chatter uh, and mm. listening to something that's deeper inside, uh, and through that, feeling our way to to what's needed to be done. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that feels like the message. If if people want to find out more about this stuff with you, what um, what where would you like to point them? Well, I mean, that's a good point because I think at the moment, you know, I teach this as a um, as a practice. I'm, uh, I teach internal martial arts and 
this Taoist development method. Um, I haven't brought it out into, I ha- well, I guess over the last couple of years, I've started bringing it out into my professional work. I guess just go to maxstjohn.com. You can follow some of the links there and some of my writing uh, and see uh, see what you can find. Or, or just get in touch with me, max at beingwildthings.com, and I'll be really happy to to have a chat about any of this. But yeah, I'm looking right at the moment, actually, I'm working on a couple of retreats and um, workshops with people which will specifically be bringing in this body work into a, a leadership, into a, a professional setting. And so exploring mm. how that works. Chief of leaders. That. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> cool. Well, um, you're going to be at summer camp uh, this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, you're going to be talking, uh, I think, about what you were talking about before around the whole climate change stuff and yeah. how we're dealing with it as, as people. Um Maybe there's something we could do around the the chi and the body work yeah, in the open yeah, space if people yeah, want to yeah. dive into that, particularly after listening to this. I, I'd be interested in this. Yeah, yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, if we, we'll do an open space session and or maybe do a little morning practice for, for those of us. Oh, like, yeah, uh, definitely. Go and find a spot and do some Nagung. Introduce you to the Nagung, Carlos. We'll sort your back out. Yes, Exactly. Well, I, you know, I told you well, before, I, I, I really yeah. want to look into this. It might be sorted out by then. Yeah. All Fingers right, mate. No, yeah, let's be sorted out by then. <laughs> well, again, thank you very much. It's been, it's actually, this is one of the longer ones, but it feels one of the most kind of deeper conversations I've had on the podcast. And I'm, I feel like we could go on a lot longer. There's more to explore here. Cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, nice. I'm really glad. It was really enjoyable talking to you, man. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, thehappystartupschool.com. If you believe that there's more to life and business than making money and waiting for retirement, and if you want to surround yourself with other like-minded change makers and entrepreneurs, who want to make money, do good, and be happy, then please come join our community. We offer courses, conversations, and content that will help you follow your own path to success, whether you're just starting out, struggling to grow your business, or in a position of leadership and trying to work out what's next. There's no reason to face these challenges alone when you can be supported by people like you who want you to succeed. And from Friday the 13th to Sunday the 15th of September, we're hosting our Happy Startup Summer Camp. While we know that strictly isn't summer, the event also isn't just for startups. At its core, Summer Camp is about learning, play and friendship. We want to promote personal growth in business. We advocate holding our work lightly so that we can be more creative. And we know that we can't create impact on our own. We need to work with others that give us energy and support. As well as inspirational talks, we've got activities and experiences such as Blingo Bingo, Botanical Brew Making, Yoga, Mindful Raving, Saunas, Hot Tubs, Lake Swimming, Japanese Sword Fighting, Qigong Breathing and Dancing. Lots of dancing. To find out more about Summer Camp, please go to happystartupsummer.camp. Business doesn't have to be boring and it definitely shouldn't be lonely. I hope you can find your tribe with us this September.